2: it is the Michael Duke show. Good morning and welcome to the program. Thanks for coming in and joining us. We have got a uh, we got a we got a lot to cover today. We got a lot to cover and a lot of things to go over. And uh, we are ready to uh, we're ready to rock and roll and uh, get things going on. We appreciate you guys coming in and being part of it today. Uh, it is Monday which uh, has many connotations in many parts of the world. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> first and foremost, uh, I guess uh, we'll say uh, good morning to you. And it is Monday, but it's going to be a good Monday, a great Monday. No, a great Monday. That's what it's all about. So today on the program, we're going to be, uh, we're gonna be covering all the headlines from over the weekend. And we're going to uh, talk about we're going to talk about uh, uh, everything that's kind of happened in the legislature and what's been going on. Uh, We'll also kind of give an outlook of where, you know, where things are going, I think, in the uh, um, in the state. Uh, Not mm, not necessarily the most rosy outlook in some ways, I think. And so. We will, uh, but we'll cover, we'll cover, we'll cover all that stuff. And then uh, in our uh, two of the program, we'll get into some meat and potatoes. We're going to be talking with uh, Representative Ben Carpenter, not only about his uh, latest, uh, uh, his latest bill on the sales tax, but about a comprehensive plan, a comprehensive plan for the uh, fiscal plan, I guess I should say, for the state and uh and uh and you know where we're going that fiscal plan includes not just the new sales tax proposal but uh, a pfd solution spending limit the cit reduction and more so it's going to be uh it's going to be some stuff it's going to be good it's going to be some good stuff so we appreciate you guys coming in and being part of it this morning and we will um We'll be jumping in and and getting things ready to rock and roll. Uh, If you're ready, I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, oh. So, uh, oh, uh, by the way, uh, folks, uh, the uh, folks down on the peninsula are having to, uh, they're having to connect via the Internet today because there's a problem. There's a technical issue down at the radio station down there on the peninsula. And so uh, we're hoping that they will join us here shortly on the uh, on the radio. But as it is right now, it's just you and me and all the folks in the interior broadcasting across the interior from uh, KFAR. So. um, All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive into this and talk about uh, some of the big things that kind of came out uh, over the weekend. Um, The governor's bill. Uh, the parental rights bill, which uh, has created a stir uh, for a lot of folks, um, was uh, had a hearing uh this last week uh, on Thursday evening, and it was overwhelmingly uh opposed by the folks who were there in person. Uh, at the hearing, and also on the telephone and in public testimony. 119 Alaskans spoke during a what was nearly a five-hour period, um, and uh, it was uh, overwhelmingly opposed to the bill. 103 opposed the bill, and only 16 were in favor of it. 100 119 103 opposed 106 uh, excuse me 103 opposed and 16 in favor of it which i'm gonna get into here in just a minute as part of my outlook but i'm just reporting the facts ma'am just the facts right now um the overall push on this and the overall i think that the theme that we're um uh, the theme that I think that we're seeing through all the comments that came in is basically uh, that most of these people are concerned about the outing of transgendered or I don't know queer is that what the I guess queer is the proper term uh, people being outed to their parents about what's going on in school uh, about how they are treated in school, how they choose to be addressed, about pronouns, about all this other kind of stuff, which is, uh, you know, look, I mean, it's important for kids to feel like they have some kind of control over their life, but at the same time, the parents are still ultimately responsible for it. And, and I'm, I'm really having a hard time watching this and seeing the parents get cut out of, uh, of all of these things. Um, A couple of things that just jumped out at me um, um, from the from the get go uh, on this was the fact that, um, well, here's the breakout. Alaska's version would ban Alaska's version of this bill, HB 105, would mirror uh, legislation proposed in several other states that opponents say would harm the vulnerable LGBTQ plus kids under the guise of parents' rights. I don't think it's a guise. I think it is parents' rights, because here's where it comes down. Alaska's versions would ban gender non-conforming students from using bathrooms according to their gender identity. Uh, again, that's why I think it's important to have the unisex bathrooms. If that's what you want to do, then, yeah, I... I would much rather if I had a daughter in school. Let me let me break this down for just a second. If I had a daughter in in school and there was a boy there that was a you know biological male who was confused about his identity trying to see things you know what wanted to and especially if they were in their adolescent years being having been an adolescent boy at one point, I can tell you that that would be, um, it's a very confusing time, right? I mean, you got a lot of emotions, you got a lot of urges, you got a lot of stuff flowing around in there. And having them go into the bathroom with the girls, at, especially at that stage in their life, probably not something I'd be super comfortable with, whether I supported the idea that this kid could choose his own gender or not. Because, again, I was once an adolescent boy. And so I I just, I, I don't, you know, I have a problem with that. So that's the first part. Alaska's version would ban gender nonconforming students from using bathrooms according to their gender identity. It would require parental permission for students to use different name or pronouns in school. I, I think that that just, I mean, you have to be open with the parents. They're the ones that are dealing with this child at all other times, and if you don't, if you're hiding it, if you're, it just, it's not healthy. It's not healthy to have to hide all this stuff. Could you imagine the stress on a kid if he's using one gender or one, you know, one name at school and having to use another at home and the stress that must be, you know, don't ever want to go to a um, you know, a public outing or some kind of thing where he may run into somebody and the and the kids call him or her something different than what, I mean, you imagine the stress of that? I mean, just again, that, that makes no sense to me, but this is where it got me. It would require schools to share, <clears throat> excuse me, it would require schools to share children's medical records with parents and guardians. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You best be making sure that that is happening right now. Allow parents to sue schools when the requirement is violated. Ban all sexual education before the fourth grade. And require students to obtain parental permission in order to participate in any sexual or gender education from fourth grade onward. Again, I don't see a problem with it. So fourth grade is what? You go into kindergarten when you're four years old, five years old, right? So by 4th grade you're 9 years old. What well, you, you don't need sex education before you're 9 years old? No. No. And again, uh I like the opt in instead of opt out for a variety of reasons. Most importantly, because they can, you know, they they can slip a lot of this stuff in when you're not even paying attention. And, uh, and again, I think all parents should be paying the utmost attention to what's going on with their kids in the education system. But I have always been a fan of the idea of opting in instead of opting out, because otherwise you just don't know. It can get by you. But the overall testimony is that is that uh, this is going to be scary for people. That they're not going to be able to, uh, that they're, they're that these kids are are going to be living in fear. Um, I I, so, I saw that um, I saw that uh, that comment several times in the uh, in the in the quotes from the different uh, news outlets is that there were several uh, you know several comments about how these kids are just they're fearful now they're more fearful now than they ever have been. Um, there was another um, a comment from a transgendered man who is a teaching aide from Kodiak who addressed the committee by phone. And he said uh, he said uh, uh, that uh, that the fear is a huge part. Um, he said that teach, he said, I've met countless people who have had to leave or been dumped on the street or have been physically, sexually, emotionally abused by unaccepting family. Again, this seems to be the common theme is that. It's the family that's the danger here, that your family won't. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I have a friend of mine who is gay, who, was, uh, who came out to his parents or whatever, and he was basically disowned. Now, he did it when he was older. If he'd been younger, I don't know what would have happened, but it does happen. I'm not saying that it doesn't. But to say that that's the way things are going to be for everybody I think is disingenuous it um it's it's all about it's all about the fear at this point it's all about how they feel um and i think that that is i think that that's part of the problem here opponents of the measure say that its mere introduction has made some transgender children in the state feel less safe and has served as a distraction from the most important conversation about public funding for education and the state's fiscal challenges. Um, so they felt less safe. I, I don't know. But here's the problem, the overall problem. Well, I guess we'll get into that here in a minute. Uh, I, I. Here's the thing. Parents are such an important part of this entire conversation and it feels like that many people here want to sacrifice them on the altar of letting the children decide everything for themselves. When we know as parents that children do not have the life experience to make all those choices. But it's like they're trying to empower the children with all these ideas. In fact, one of the one of the commenters was um Uh, was named Apuyak Raitan, who was the first openly transgendered musher to finish the Iditarod. And they they said something that I thought was a little shocking to me. Uh... They said, I never saw girls like me. By the time I realizing I was trans by researching online, I had already gone through testosterone puberty. I wish I had learned about trans people before that happened. Like you were going to stop it. Like they were going to at that point in their life, they were going to make a decision. It, it, It again, they can't vote. They can't go fight in the military. They can't buy cigarettes. They can't buy alcohol. They can't do all these things before they're the age of consent, 21. And yet at the same time, we're like, oh, you wanna you wanna biologically or chemically change your body, you wanna physically modify it, you wanna do all these other things. You know, boy, you couldn't get a nose ring before you're before you're 13, but go ahead and, and clip and snip the parts or or chemically induce change. I mean, you could do that. That, I mean, it, it just, it, 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 it just makes no sense to me at this point. It makes no sense to me. And I know that probably irritates some people, but that's just how it is. It, this makes no sense to me. You are entrusted with those children for a reason, because they don't have the wherewithal or the life experience to be able to make all these decisions for themselves. All right, we got to go. We're going to continue. Ben Carpenter is our guest. He's going to be joining us here in a little bit. We'll be back with more of The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio.
0: If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes on Demand. Oh, and it's free like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and Michael Okay, we're
2: back in the. Um, uh, there we go. Uh, we're back in the. Uh, we're back in the deal here. Um, okay. Um. We are ready to go, and uh, let me get back over to the chat room. Let me get over to the chat room. Okay. Here we. Here we go. Go back to the top. Oof, There we go. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, How's the Monday? Where's the video? Music and video should be there. I had a problem with the video this morning. There was a reset on something. I fixed it. Um, all right, you guys are killing me here. I got uh, okay. Uh, Brian, um, Brian is running for the M.E.A. service area for Matanuska Electric Association. Brian would be a good choice. Brian would be a great choice. Um, Okay, and KPEN is connected this morning, so the Peninsula stations are online as well. Um, Yeah, they did call in. It was 99% LGBTQ plus and teachers. Yep. Yep. Um. Let's see, time to homeschool I'm shocked, Jen says, I'm shocked that parents are not involved at all these days Educators are running away with the rights of parents Parents are handing over their kids I think that there is a, a, certainly a component of that, Jen I think that there certainly is a component uh, of that, for sure uh, the testimony was rigged, and the legislators set up and flew people in to testify against HB 105 and set up the phone testimony. Well, I don't know how legislators – I think maybe some of the groups pooled money together and did it because it was a full house. I don't know if I've ever seen so many people in a room to testify uh, as the pictures from the ADN on that. Um, and again, I, I come back to the question of uh, you know, who's responsible for your kids. Maybe you should consider – Pulling them out of the school uh, Fourth grade is too young, says Terry We were talking about the age for sex education, fourth grade Because what is it, right? Your, your kid's go into kindergarten at four or five, right? That's, if I remember correctly Four or five is kindergarten And so fifth, fourth grade would make them nine at the oldest Nine years old And I've just not, I was not ready to have the uh, talk with my kids at nine years old about that. I mean, they didn't even have any questions about it at that point. So, uh, yeah, it. um, Anyway, um, when did the hearing take place? It took place Thursday night uh, in Juneau, Thursday afternoon. Thursday evening. Maybe it didn't tell me the time. It was on Thursday. Um. Let's see. Uh, standard fare of felt less safe. Yeah. Yeah, you should not wait until next year. <laughs> Debbie, somebody said they're Asked to be homeschooled next year, and somebody said, definitely, seriously, should not wait until next year, should do it today. Uh, Let's see. Family issues, whether it be rejection because of life issues, life choices, gender, sexual preference, unfortunate. However, it is regardless, however, regardless, it is not the business of the public schools or democratic leadership to involve themselves without consent. Um All right. No bumper music today. You guys should be hearing music uh right right now. If you're not, I'm sorry. Here we go. We'll jet we'll check into it on the next break. The Michael Duke show, Common Sense Radio. Okay, let's uh, let's get back into it, shall we? Let's do this. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, this is kind of the point I was just making uh, about kids can't can't smoke, can't drink, can't get a tattoo, can't join the military, can't do all these other things before you're the age of majority. Be that 18 or 21, whatever state you're in. But, you know, chemical castration, uh, physical modifications, all these other things. Uh, I, you know, again, I'm a little shocked that those things are okay and uh, on the table. It it concerns me. Let me just say it concerns me. Um. All right. So uh, let's uh, let's get back into this here and continue our discussions on other things that came out. So I guess mm, the Alaska House is also advancing a bill uh, to address the state's fentanyl crisis. Now I've been following the um, I've been following the reporting on this uh, not in Alaska, not in the fentanyl crisis in Alaska, but Reason Magazine has been following this uh, closely. And um, I, uh, I I gotta I gotta think that um, some of this might be overblown a little bit. Now I'm not again, I don't speak from personal experience, so I'm sure that there are instances of this going out there, but this continued hype about the, um, uh, you know, all the arrests and all these other things that are going on, the the officer who supposedly got deathly sick from merely touching some. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on here. There's a whole show wrapped up in just the fentanyl issue. So maybe I'll just maybe I'll just hold back on commenting on that until we get through everything. Uh, the Dunleavy administration previewed the new measure uh, in October as a way to combat a staggering rise in fentanyl deaths in Alaska Supporter says there's not enough harsh penalties for drug dealers, while recovery advocates say the bill is overly broad and that drug users would be swept up in the harsher sentences. Uh, The House Judiciary Committee advanced Bill 66 last week. It has three main components. Uh, According to the ADN here, it would increase penalties from manslaughter to second degree murder for distributing methamphetamine and opioids, which directs in uh, which directly results in death. Convictions would result in a mandatory minimum of 15 years and a maximum of 19. uh, Excuse me. Ninety nine. Sentence would increase to a minimum of seven years in prison for selling any quantity of opioids. And then the committee added penalties for giving drugs to people with disabilities or who are incapacitated. Some felony drug convictions would be ineligible for sentence reduction for good behavior, which is known as good time. Sentences can currently be reduced by up to a third for all offenses except for murder and rape. Uh, Several Republican members of the committee applauded the proposal as a way to tackle the state's opioid epidemic and to combat trafficking. And they mentioned their own family's experiences with fatal drug overdoses. Um, so, and then the whole story goes on to talk about opioids and how since there's been the crackdown on opioids, they've seen an increase in fentanyl deaths because fentanyl is the, apparently the next, uh, the next drug of choice, uh, because it's a synthetic opioid. Um, And it goes on to talk about that and it tells tells all the stories about, uh, you know, everything else. Uh, there was some pushback. Andrew Gray, the Anchorage Democrat, uh, questioned the need for murder convictions uh, for the offense uh, that we talked about before, you know, where somebody sells drugs and somebody dies because it would apply a minuscule number of convictions. Uh, the court system said that there were only two manslaughter convictions for drug-induced homicides between 2010 and 2022. So 12-year period there. That was, that was it. Progressive justice groups and nonprofits have said those laws are ineffective in reducing overdose deaths and are difficult to convict. Multiple studies have found treating the opioid crisis as a public health emergency rather than when harsher criminal enforcement have been more effective. Um, and this is where it kind of, you know, again, the thing kind of it swings around. Um, I'm more in line of finding the 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 dealers and prosecuting the dealers, but finding help for the uh, finding help for the users. That's that's just me. I am not necessarily a, uh, uh, i I'm not necessarily a put them all in jail and sort them out later kind of guy. Um, even David Eastman joined uh, joined Gray, Andrew Gray, in forcefully speaking out against the matter. He said it was originally described as being about fentanyl, but he said it became something totally different. It became, quote, we need to have harsher penalties and that we can't have harsh enough penalties or too harsher penalties on anybody that's involved in basically cases, in my view, which is just an infraction dealing with an illicit substance, said Eastman. So I guess David Eastman and I are on the same sheet of paper on this. Um, So anyway, this is uh, the four members of the House Judiciary Committee voted to advance the bill to the Finance Committee after Deputy Attorney General John Skidmore encouraged lawmakers to pass it as it's currently drafted. Uh, Gray had recommended that it be amended, and Cliff Groh, Anchorage Democrat and a former prosecutor, gave it a no-referral Eastman uh, recommended that the bill should not pass. So, but it's going in there, and it's uh, it's on the way. Uh, what was the final thing that I wanted to talk about? Well, we're going to get into this with Brad, We're going to get into this with Ben Carpenter anyway. Um, his two percent statewide sales tax received its first legislative hearing last Wednesday. Uh, he, uh, the sponsor, saying he envisions it as a component of a long term plan to bring state spending and revenue in balance, which is why today, when we talk with uh, Ben Carpenter, we're going to be going through again the, all the parts of a full comprehensive plan, not just the sales tax, but as part of a larger fix the spending cap, a fix to the PFD, a reduction in overall spending, and more so i guess we won't uh, i guess we won't spoil too much of that here by going into this article from the alaska beacon but it was heard and we'll get you the uh, um we'll 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 get you some details here from ben carpenter in just a bit as we uh, as we jump through on this Uh, Finally, before we get too far along, I did want to give this piece of good news because I think that this is a a great story, Um, and uh, not just because he's an acquaintance of mine, but I think this has been a good, heartwarming story from the get-go, and it finally looks like that it has had its happy ending. It's been a long journey, but after four months and one painful, painful missed opportunity, Patrick Holland of North Pole has had a heart transplant. It was successfully completed on Friday, according to Haley Holland, his wife, who spoke to uh, KTUU. She said he's doing better. She said it's hard to—it's a hard question to answer because he's in such bad shape. But he's in such bad shape because he just had a heart transplant. Uh, she said the heart is doing well inside his chest. He still has a balloon pump. Uh, He also has an external pacemaker to help the new heart beat. So step by step, as these supports start to be removed, that is when we start to see the real progress. And like I said, he did get the ventilator taken away, and that was huge. That was really big. Uh, For those of you who don't remember, uh, he was on the list for the heart transplant in December, and he was originally called on December the 22nd, but an ice storm prevented him from flying into Seattle. And he couldn't get the heart and they had to skip over him. So then he relocated down to Seattle and has been staying with uh, folks down there waiting for that call for when the next time came. And it came on Friday. And now Roger Holland, uh, excuse me, and now uh, Patrick Holland, not not Roger Holland, the former senator, but Patrick Holland from North Pole now has a new heart. Uh, All four of his children are down there. Uh, with uh, his wife Haley in Seattle, and uh, there he's recovering. So fingers crossed that this all goes well and that uh, he's able to come home. He's able to come home shortly, maybe another 5, 10, 20 years. Uh, And uh, Haley wanted to stress the importance, and both uh, Haley and Patrick wanted to stress the importance of organ donors. They said, there's no more noble thing to do when you know that your time on this earth is limited than to pass on the resources that the organs have been, that you've been blessed with your entire life. So, Patrick and I, we just plead with everyone to become or- organ donors. It's giving Patrick and I the opportunity to have 5, 10, 30 years together because of Andrew, referring to the donor heart, and his family. So, we are organ donors, and we ask him, and everyone else become organ donors. And it's good to see uh, that this has finally come to fruition. So, that's it's a good news story for the day. We needed a little good news for the day, didn't we? All right, we're coming up. We got more coming up. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free thing and radio. We'll be back with more right after this. Don't go anywhere.
0: Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee.
1: (laughs) Ha, nice beard.
0: The Michael Duke Show.
2: Okay. All right. Let me go back to where I was. Mm. You You guys heard that music though, right? You guys heard that music. Oof. No music. Turn it up. You can't tell me there was no music there. I know there was music there because I made it so. Uh, okay. Um. No music. Nope. It's a Monday thing apparently because last Monday there was no music and then I fixed it and uh, now it's not happening again. I mean, nothing else has changed. I don't know. Worked fine on Friday. Now it's Monday. I mean, who knows at this point? Um, let's see. Let me go back over here.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: Boom. How about that? Let me see that. There was an, I just. There was a second choice. I... Haven't ever chosen. So let me check that out. You guys could tell me if you can hear this. <music> I should burn some sage. <laughs> That's a good idea. I should just burn some sage in here. We'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. <music> yeah. So it's. It's showing up, but... Oh, now you hear it. I don't know. Yeah, I must have sacrificed a goat. I don't know what was going on. I uh, I held my mouth just right. It's one of the reasons why I hate Windows 10. I just want to say that. and Windows 11 is not going to be any better. That's a personal nerd attack right there, baby. Personal nerd attack. I'm a little frustrated by Windows uh why does that everything's breaking this morning man There we go that's better Okay So you guys have been verbose this morning I just I had to scroll through a bunch of stuff to get to the end here this morning Um 91 pages of written testimony all in favor of HB 105 So I just looked through 90 just look through 91 pages of written testimony. All were in favor. So apparently all the emails don't matter now. Everybody's got to be in person or um, or you've got to uh, be on the phone. Apparently that's what it's all about. Uh, let's go back over here. Targets poor people. We should learn. Uh, It's a public health issue. We should learn from the war on drugs debacle. I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, uh, Going here. uh, I'm still scrolling backwards. Uh, All right. No music. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. 5.15 5.15 on Thursday is when the meeting was. Thank you. I, I also saw Rep, uh, Senator Rob Myers let us know. Okay. <clears throat> I, I just scrolled all the way back to where I was before. You guys have been a little verbose this morning. So that's good. Chatty, chatty, chatty. I like it. Um, okay. No music. You can hear me vaping, but no music. Well, the music usually covers that, so don't worry about it. Um, uh, this is elective medical. Go to Singapore for on fentanyl dealers. Go Singa, go Singapore. Oh, go Singapore on fentanyl dealers. I was like, what? Singapore has got ooh, man, you do not want to be caught doing bad things in Singapore. Nope. <laughs> nope. It absolutely, that's a full on nope right there. Um good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh Rick says 106,000 deaths in twenty twenty one and still going up according to so the National Institute on Drug Abuse. Um I wonder how many legislators will vote against it. I wonder how many legislators will vote for it simply because Eastman is against it. <laughs> They, I mean, everybody's got to make their own choices. Um, uh, no, say LSU, King County averaged 17 deaths each week in King County due to fentanyl. Just one spot in the community. There we go. Uh, Ghost in the Machine Mondays. That could be, that's Machine Mondays. That could be it right there. It's all good. All right. Oh, coming down to the, coming down to it. That's not true, says Chris. He says none of the testimony matters. Doesn't matter if it was written or spoken. None of the testimony matters. All right, thanks. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Okay, uh, we're continuing now our discussions. Um, uh, just going through the chat room here, uh, there were some comments. Uh, Senator Rob Myers said the emails, because somebody commented said they just read 91 pages of emails about HB 105, which was the, the parental choice bill. And they said it looked like it was overwhelmingly positive. Rob Meyer says the emails were against 105 in about a 3 to 2 ratio. So still, still high. Uh, Melody said she was uh, on hold for four hours that night trying to testify. And this kind of speaks to what I wanted to go back to on the outlook. Um... And when I said I wanted to look at the outlook of the state of Alaska uh, in general, uh, I think you know we're we're seeing it here. We're we're being, mm, I want to say we're being bl- we're being bludgeoned, we're being beaten down. In a lot of ways, uh, you've seen it in the uh, reducing uh, the the reduction in voter turnout, how that's been going on um and and this has been this is not just a one year issue this is an issue that has been going on for the last 15 years now 12 15 years as america has become more divided uh uh you know divided and divisive and polarized we're seeing people who are um you know we're seeing people who are in the middle of this who are you know probably not necessarily all the way on the right or not necessarily all the way on the left, and they feel like they're in the middle of this huge game of tug-of-war. And, you know, they, they just get to the point where they just go, ah, eh, eh, and they throw their hands up, and they walk away. Which leaves more people on the, on the far left and on the far right Tugging even harder on those that remain and those who are not so, you know, who are not so cemented in their ideology on one side or the other are now bearing even more pain. And it's this negative cycle. So another one drops out and the pain is now spread amongst a fewer among a number of people. And on the fringes of this, on the outside of this looking in, is the news media and the talking heads and the politicos who are manipulating this to make it even worse. To make that divisiveness appear even worse than it probably is. And it's, you know, the outlook... I guess in the long run, for these kind of things, is not great if we don't, if we if we don't keep on, keep it on. I mean, I've said it on the program: don't grow weary in well doing. Right? Don't get tired. Don't quit. But at the same time, we see, you know, like I said, in this parental rights bill, three to two on written testimony. Almost ten to one on, uh, on 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 spoken testimony in front of the people. And so, while I want to encourage you to keep fighting, I it's why I said earlier that I think you know also that you should consider taking your kids out of the situation that they're in and finding alternatives for them in the meanwhile. And I'm I'm talking specifically now about the the schools and and that problem uh, right there but I think overall you need to find a way to div- divorce yourself from the system. You could still fight. I'm not about I'm not saying you give up. In fact, I'm saying exactly the opposite. We need to continue to fight, but at the same time, we shouldn't be sacrificing ourselves or our children or anything else while we fight. Just, you know, you, you don't, look, again, for example, going back to the schools, I would not leave my kid in the school while I'm fighting this battle over whether or not I can have my rights in the schools with the children. I would pull my kids out of school and and homeschool them or put them in a, a private school, do whatever I could do, however I needed to make it happen. Because, again, I, I likened it the other day when we were talking about this, and I likened it the other day to being on the battlefield and you're shooting down range at the enemy. And I, I don't want anybody to say that I want to shoot anybody. It's an analogy. If you're fighting a battle back and forth and the battle lines are drawn and the battle is over your children, you don't throw your children out into the middle of the battlefield and let both sides fill up, you know, riddle them with bullets. You you hide them, you put them away, you protect them, you put them in a bunker, you do whatever you need to do in a, in a war to make sure that they're protected. You don't let them run around out in the middle of the battlefield. And that's exactly what is happening right now. All your kids are in school. You're concerned about this stuff. You're fighting about it. But this is a multi-year process. This is going to take two or three years. for If any of these changes happen, it will take a couple years for it to happen. Do you want them to be in the middle of it while it's going on? And then the outlook on, you know the size and scope of government and everything else i mean the coming realization from many people that alaska is not as red as you thought it was and all of a sudden they're like oh well, wait wait what's going on well i think many people who were probably fiscally conservative and socially you know more liberal in so- in social matters are like they're either throwing their hands up in the air or they're just, you know, they're just not participating anymore. And I think that there's a lot of that. I mean that I think that there's a lot of that where people are just they're tired. It's, you know, uh look, I agree on the weekends, I, uh, you know, for, uh, for the most part, and this is why I started doing this, because I couldn't in good conscience just pull back and, and uh, you know, it, it pull back out of the thing. But, I mean, I started consciously about 12, 15 years ago. Basically, I turned off all the news and everything else all, uh, 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 on the weekends. Because otherwise I would get consumed by what, you know, I'm always trying to, and I was exhausted, and I was angry. I was, I was an angry, angry man. Because I was, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick kind of thing. I was trying to fight these battles, and I was realizing that I couldn't be, you know, I was not being effective, and things weren't changing, and And so instead of doing what many people do, which was and have been doing, walking away, throwing their hands up, refusing to participate anymore. I just started to unplug on the weekends and get my head right and relax, be with family, focus on other things. And then I would come back and start again on Monday. And that made a world of difference to me. But I look at the outlook for what's going on in this state. And I realize how far we have to go. I look at the testimony, I look at what's going on at what's being said from the floor of the House and the Senate, and I look at all these things, and I realize, mm, this is this is a this is a long, hard road that unless we make some fundamental changes, and I don't I mean, we just changed out a third of the legislature. obviously not with all the folks that we had hoped it would be right we got some we got some changes in there that we didn't want but at the same time we would hope that that would make some changes and it's still we're still treading down the same path overspending taking the pfd more money for government forget about what's happening in the private sector forget about the you know the the private economy focus only on the public economy and on the government spend and how do we protect that and all those kind of things that we're seeing from the same group of people, by the way, in the legislature who keep going back to the legislature time and time and time again. You know, there's just there's there's no way. There's nothing, you know, and a, and again, I think it comes back to that analogy that we've used in the past about the, you know, the The alcoholic can never start to recover until they hit rock bottom and acknowledge that there is a problem. And I think that's kind of where we are in this state. We've got new fresh blood in there, but they're being indoctrinated and inculcated with all the stuff that's going on. And you've got this old guard that's in the legislature that's been doing the same thing the same way for years. And until the money runs out and they hit rock bottom, they're never going to admit that there's a problem. Now, people like Ben Carpenter, maybe he can maybe he can lay some truth on. Maybe he can smack some truth into some people down there. I don't know, but because you've got the Gary Stevenses and the Bert Steadmans and the Louis Stutes and the Bryce edgmans of the world down there, who've been doing this for years, decades, and know where all the political bodies are buried, and know which you know how to how to game the system. I don't know if, until they hit rock bottom, they have no reason, they have no reason to admit that there's a problem. How's that for positivity on a Monday? Ha <laughs> ha! All right, uh, we gotta go. The Michael Luke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this. And they're going to get a pay raise to boot. You're right, Brian. They're going to get a pay raise to boot. That's for sure. Oh, man. Oh. Um, uh, Michael, I no longer have kids in school, but my grandchildren are there. and The potential for any great-grandchildren is there. If I had it my way, they would be out. But that's not my decision, says Tony. I know my wife and i were just having this discussion about some of our kids some of our older kids and decisions uh that one of my kids is making and it's not that they're bad it's just that they're not decisions that we would have made and i looked at her and said we did what we could do we did the best that we could do and if it's not a decision that we would have made you know they're going to have to they they got to learn Right. They got to learn from their own. That's how, you know, they always said experience is the best teacher. They just never fi- they just never finished that for you. Experience is the best teacher, especially when it's somebody else's experience. Right. I could watch somebody go into a kitchen and lean on the, you know, be talking and lean down and put their hand on the stove on that hot burner and see him burn their hand and know not to put my hand on that burner. That's experience is the best teacher, especially when it's somebody else's experience. I don't have to go through the pain to figure it out. Uh, Sandy says, unfortunately, I'm right. And they're all laughing all the way to the bank, so why should they care? Uh, You know, they're getting out of it what they want. Um, out of the 60 legislators in 2016, only 17 are currently there. So they're replaced almost well over two thirds of the legislature. Then right because it's 60 body, 60 members in the thing. So they we've replaced two thirds in the last eight years. It's that stubborn one third. It's that stubborn one third that keeps things going. Uh, all right. Um, Michael, you're on a roll. Oh, well, I'm just, I'm calling it like I see it. I mean, as I read the paper and I read the comments and I read the test, the public testimony and I read all this stuff, I just realized, man, I just feel like I want to pull into my shell and yank the doormat in at the same time, the welcome mat, just yank it in (laughs) that's cuz it's just if you can't fix it what do you do um and Harold is predicting high dollar gas uh okay let me go over here um we'll send it again we'll send it again uh i'm trying to Get Ben Carpenter on the line here, real quick. Let me see if I can, uh, uh okay. All right. Let me. Try this one more time. One more time. We'll do this again. Making sure I got the right. Uh, make sure I got the right address. Whoops. Let me try it. Let me actually try to see this again. Hold on. Okay, he found it. Okay, he found it. Okay. I mean, I knew I sent it. I just wasn't sure what was going on. All right. We got it going on. Um, seems like many parents will put up with this crap because their heads, they're having their kids babysat by the schools is one less thing for their plates. for their short-sighted and not realizing the public school toxicity factory is ruining their children and creating the very real possibilities that their kids won't be able to function or thrive in a real world and wind up living in mom and dad's basement most of their lives. I mean that's again we talked about that how they're t- if they're treating him like a glorified babysitter that's a problem that's a real problem. Uh okay, let's uh let's go over and test our connection here. We got about a minute and a half. Let's go over here and test the connection with uh Rep Carpenter and see if we are good to go. Good morning, sir. How are you doing?
1: Good morning, Michael. Can you hear me well?
2: I can hear you well. Uh you sound good. So we're all yeah. good. Uh, You may want to wipe a cloth across your camera lens because it's a little blurry. Um, If you want to do that, I'm going to remove you here and put you back in the green room for just a minute uh, while we get the final little things going on. Can we stop using public schools, says Brian? Can we stop using public schools? They're not. They are government schools. That's true. That's that is that's a truth. No doubt about it. That is a truth um i mean you're not you're not wrong you're not wrong about that um i warned about this with common core meanwhile countries are pulling off the u.s dollars of standard currency in international transactions uh i saw that the BRIC nations were getting together again and they were starting to talk about that it's uh it's that's a scary proposition if the world is no longer if the dollar is no longer the world's reserve currency You're going to have some problems, folks. We're going to have some real problems. All right, here we go. We're jumping back into it. Representative Ben Carpenter, our guest, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Like and share, like and share, like and follow. Here we go. Across the world on the interwebs at michaeldukeshow.com where you'll find the audio-only live stream, uh, links to our podcasts, uh, and, of course, links to all the social media sites where we simulcast the show every morning on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And, uh, of course, you can also become a member of the Common Sense Corps is there as well and all, all that kind of stuff. Also broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator uh FM translator so welcome to the program thanks for coming in and joining us I want to say a special thanks this morning to our friends at satellite west from uh from buckland to barrow although now it's called uktavik uh from from uh from uh, uh, tatlanika to uh to tin city from Chatnica to china and from cordova to kenai they they sound the same that's why Uh, Satellite West uh, has got you covered. No matter where you go, that's what they can do for you. They can keep you connected via phone or text messages or emails or just surfing the Internet, whatever you need. Satellite West has got got the tools and the technology to get you taken care of. And they've got a local network of dealers to do so as well. Go out and find more about them and see a list of your local dealers at SatelliteWest.com. Thank you for sponsoring the program this morning. All right. We're ready. Hour two of the big radio show. I just laid down a really depressing diatribe right before we came uh, onto the break there at the end. Um, and uh, we're going to uh, jump in here and talk to uh, talk to Representative Ben Carpenter, who is. Oh, we lost it. Ben Carpenter is going to rejoin. He's going to try and we're going to get him to rejoin here. He just dropped off a second ago. Um, he was here and now he's gone uh we're gonna get him back on here um in just a second there he is there he popped back in had a little bit of a internet hiccup and uh away we go uh good morning uh good morning representative how are you sir
1: Good morning, Michael. I'm fine. I looked down at my little icon in the in the tray, and it said no internet. So I know it was on my end.
2: Oh, so you so the the world stopped, and here you are. Okay, um, Representative Carpenter, thanks for coming on. So uh, just a little bit of a story time for folks out there, because I think it's indicative of what we're uh, what we're talking about here. I sent a text message to Representative Carpenter, who said, Hey, would you like to come on in the morning and talk about uh, your new sales tax bill? And he said, No. But I would like to come and talk about a comprehensive fiscal plan that includes a sales tax, a fix for the PFD, a cut to the CIT, uh, a spending cap, a spending limit, all this. uh, And and I think this is indicative of the overall thought. This is not just a – it's not just a one-issue deal. Uh, And I know you're taking a lot of heat because you've proposed a tax bill as a Republican and there's some anger and heat in that. But again if you look at it from the idea that this is a full comprehensive plan I see your point I guess touche is what I meant to say I see your point in that so that's kind of where we're going today we're going to talk about a full fiscal plan that includes all the things that I just mentioned and more um so where you know what where do we want to where do we want to start here tell tell us tell us as we watch this where should we be starting
1: yeah well as I'd like to remind people um, and remind myself often too, right? Because uh, there are a lot of things that I would like to accomplish, but as of uh, November 8th of last year, we had to take an appetite suppressant on what we're going to be able to accomplish. We have the players that we have in the legislature and we are divided even within our own caucus, within the majority caucus of the, of the house. And so the lens by which I have been looking at things continues to be we need to grow our economy. That is that is going to be the the one of the solutions necessary to deal with all of the different problems that we have, whether it's school funding or whether it's um, uh, drug abuse in the in the communities. A growing economy will help solve a lot of our problems. So we have a a government system set up here that is that was established for a, a one trick pony type economy, right? For oil. And we have some some policies in place that are counterproductive to economic growth outside of the oil industry. And one of those being, in my opinion, the corporate income tax. It's one of the highest in the nation. It's a graduated tax. So the largest corporations or the corporations making the most money are taxed at 9%, which is which is like fourth highest in the nation. So there's a, there's a disincentive for business to come to Alaska. We also have a high cost of living. We have a high cost of energy. Those are There's a lot of different um, problems that we have to overcome if we want to grow our economy. And I'm specifically talking about our non-oil private sector economy. That's where most people live and work in the state of Alaska. So how do we grow that? Well, there's some things that we can do. One of them is reducing taxes. Another is reducing regulations. It's getting government out of the way. So I drafted a corporate income tax reduction bill that drops it from 9% to 2%. Right. Another thing that I, I've got um, half a dozen bills in ways and means that are trying to provide different ways to solve the PFD problem so that we can guarantee a PFD moving forward. Because I'm telling you, we're looking at the next couple of years, the projections for revenue for the state, aren't pretty. And I would argue that we're probably going to be faced with um, revenue coming from the permanent fund earnings that is in decline. And we may not have enough money to pay for state government, let alone a PFD, with the three sources of revenue that we have, which is federal dollars, permanent fund earnings and oil revenue. That may be what happens. So how do we grow the economy as a solution? not tax people more for a solution. How do we grow the economy for a solution? Well, you gotta get the PFD problem solved. You gotta get the corporate income tax reduced and incentivize economic activity in the state. And you gotta do that in a divided legislature. That's a challenge. So yeah. you, you look back at the fiscal policy working group in a bicameral bipartisan manner to solve the problem. And that's what I've done. So I issued a, or a, we've got it in Ways and Means the, the spending cap bill that limits uh, constitutionally limits spending based on the size of our economy on our GDP, excluding government spend. That's also a part of the fiscal plan, and it's in it's in
2: Ways and Means. So it's not That's, it's not any one thing, uh, and this is something that we've harped on here on the program, especially coming back, uh, you know, on your debate from Ways and Means is that uh you know there's not any one thing that by itself will fix it it has to be a combination of issues
1: that that's correct and and I'm I'm trying to articulate that the best the best plan and if you think about the the issues as being the the fiscal problem they're just levers we just change the numbers is it 14% or is it 11% what what are we what are we talking about those that's the easy problem the hard problem is solving the political problem that sits on top of it which is which is we have to overcome the inertia to do uh, to do nothing, right? That's what we always do. So we have to overcome that somehow. Well, now you've got a number of folks in the legislature, probably a larger number than the last legislature, that want to see some sort of fiscal plan, right? A reordering the way that we do finances in the state to, to um, promote economic growth in the state. And for some people in this building, when you say economy, they think, government services they think nonprofits they think business entities that have their business plans relying upon state and federal spending that's their economy well our our most people in alaska work in the non-oil private sector economy right that's just a small other on our budget line we we don't really consider how to grow that piece it just is there and it's it's largely insignificant so how do you how do you grow that portion of the economy when the decision the decisions that you made in the legislature have nothing to do with promoting that, and and that's part of the problem. So now you've got an institute a sales tax a broad-based sales tax that's two percent that's two cents out of every dollar, and it's as broad as we can make it. That brings in about nine hundred billion dollars, but if you take out the the corporate income tax reduction from it, right? So if we reduce the corporate income tax we're gonna lose between three and $400 million of revenue. So that brings your potential revenue of a sales tax down to somewhere around 700 million. So in, in, in in addition, that sales tax bill allows us to share the sales tax revenue with local municipalities, but only if they're able to keep a downwards pressure on their corporate income tax. I'm, I'm sorry, I said corporate income tax. I meant um, personal uh, property tax. If they can keep a downward pressure on their on their property tax less than 10 mils, 10 mils or less, then we'll be able to share some of that state revenue. And as the, as the state economy grows because it's tied to that, that uh, sales tax, then revenue to local municipalities can grow. So it's it's not just oil revenue, it's all economic revenue. We're not doing away with the oil company, but if you right. look down the road for oil revenue, well, it's a challenging environment. Do we really think that we're going to have another boom in oil production? I mean, the the, the polit- politics around the world is, is preventing growth in the not, uh, the oil sector. So that's a, that's a challenge for Alaska going forward. We should not put all of our eggs in that basket anymore.
2: No, I mean, we've talked about diversifying the revenue base in the state for decades because, it, you know, Many many people could see that in the long run that was going to be a problem. That if you de- you know you depend on one source of income, the minute that that stopped, or of course it's an it's an income stream that's tied to the vagrities of the market, it definitely and we've seen it. It goes up and down and up and down and up and down, and we feel like we're running from feast to famine all the time because we just don't know you know what direction it's going. So we've needed to find some kind of diversity uh, in the revenue stream. Um, but I guess my my main concern here, and I'm a fan of an idea of an overall fiscal plan, the problem that I see at this point is um, you don't have a lot of, like you said before, full-throated support. For many people, when you talk about the economy, in their minds, oh, well, that's government. Well, that's this. That's the nonprofits. That's the NGOs. That's the companies and corporations that have built their business model on you know living on government largesse. To them, that's what the economy is. So when you start saying things like, Oh, we're gonna grow the economy or do this or create jobs or all this other kind of stuff, their immediate thought is, Oh, good, we get to spend more money then to make that happen. And that's so I mean, what's the likelihood of these things going forward with and again, having I'm I congratulate you on getting all these things into one, you know, into one committee and kind of building this all together, but What's the possibility of getting it done? As you said, you, even your own caucus is split.
1: Yeah. Well, um, some of my approach has been to not make this all about me and my bills, right? I, I have to, I have to take the leadership position and say, okay, follow me. I'll put the bills out there, but they don't have to all be mine. The spending cap bill is not mine. That's Representative Stapps, and it's a, a, a companion bill to um, Representative or, sorry Senator Kaufman's in the Senate right i've said from the very beginning of this session if you have ideas right put them forward and we can have a conversation about it and model it and see if it's going to to benefit the state going forward it doesn't have to be my plan it can be our plan but we've got it we have to do something and the you know i'd also just like to, re- to remind our listeners that the price of freedom is eternal vigilance we we can't we can't stop participating. We have a structure created in our government that's an imbalance. We have a a government lobby that is very, very strong in what happens down here in Juneau. Most states have a conversation about spending or um, revenue and that largely circles around taxation, right? And there's a private sector lobby that says, In order for us to grow and and maintain our economy, private sector economy, we need low taxes, we need to reduce the regulatory burden, we need infrastructure that helps us, uh, helps the private sector work, and we need low cost energy. The government sector doesn't need all that. They just need a steady source of revenue and they can suffer through lack of infrastructure and they can suffer through high cost of energy because they just take the money from somewhere else. Right? We well, don't have that private sector lobby that's effective down here in Juneau. How do you grow that? That's part of the equation, right? Right. We have to be able to grow that private sector lobby. I say lobby because lobby usually has a, a, a negative connotation. But influence if you want to use the word influence, we've got to be able to have businesses influencing what's happening down here. And largely, it doesn't really matter. Because the, the the government is spending money that doesn't isn't tied to private sector influence.
2: Ben Carpenter is our guest. The Michael Duke Show. We got to go. We'll be back with more in just a moment.
0: Listen to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're going to be best. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show.
2: Okay, uh, in the break right now, Ben Carpenter is our guest. Um, All right, refresh it for me here, Ben. Um, So the recommendations from the Fiscal Policy Working Group were a spending cap, um some moderate cuts throughout government uh a refactoring of the oil taxes right uh bringing uh bringing some more of that to the table um fixing the PFd issue uh and um and a, and some kind of broad-based revenue uh what did I miss I missed one because there was yeah, so
1: another one was a healthy healthy capital budget i I'm, I'm I pulled up the report yeah just pulled to up the yep. step us through, right um budget reductions were on there that's not part of my plan budget reductions are that's a that's a recognition that this legislature is not about cutting budgets
2: yeah because i mean that's something that hasn't even been mentioned at this point although that was part of the plan was that it there needed to be and this was a plan again that was signed off by the most diverse group of folks in the legislature that they all agreed on okay we need to have some minor cuts as well
1: yeah Uh, resilience uh, to fiscal stress um a transition period to be able to do do right. what it is that we're trying to do. Couldn't
2: all be done uh, in a day, right?
1: Yeah. C- constitutional budget reserve reform. Those are some of the, the other additional things. But yeah, constitutional certainty for the PFD is one of the big ones. Right. Yep. So and and I would just argue that that the healthy capital budget is a um the devil's in the details, right? Are we spending capital on government? Are we spending capital on things that are gonna benefit private sector? industry
2: well capital budgets and in a lot of ways i mean that should be the infrastructure right i mean the infrastructure that we need to get the economy to run in the state uh and if we're not focusing on that then we've got a bigger issue
1: yeah but is that replacing a building for dot or building a new school or is that building building a hydroelectric dam somewhere that produces uh, lower cost electricity what is it that we're talking about when we say capital spending Right. The government lobby is going to look to taking care of the government.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, and again, are we keeping our roads and bridges up so that we can get to work and do all these things? I mean, that's the that's the biggest question. Um, I'm sure that you probably heard all the heat and everything uh, for people who are talking about the one issue, which is the the uh, sales tax, um, as because that's probably one of the most unpalatable pieces of this for most people. Um, and so what is your, I guess, well, I'll wait, I'll wait till we get back on the radio on that, but here's the question that it's, it's a loaded question, but I'll give it to you anyway. Question for Ben. Once I start paying an additional 2% sales tax, what additional services can I expect to receive? Um, to which I think you would, I mean, we're in a deficit. So I think that that question kind of answers itself, but, uh, what do you say?
1: Well, I would say that the thing you're going to continue to receive is a PFD if you don't do a sales tax now or some some sort of broad-based tax, you're gonna lose your PFD in a matter of years. It's just, it's just a matter of time. High inflation, low returns, mm-hmm. stock market returns, investment returns, and, and smaller federal dollars means the PFD uh, dries up. That's what's gonna happen. You can already yeah. see that the plan being produ- pro- provided, the long-term fiscal plan is a 25-75 split. And even if you model that out, You'll still have a deficit because they're 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 factoring in a government growth. So by 2027, 2030, you're back to a deficit again because your long-term growth of your earnings isn't keeping up with your long-term growth of government.
2: Right, because so, the because gov- the government's growing like what a hundred to 150 million dollars every year if nothing changes. <laughs> if a, if a bomb took out Juno and the and the uh, and it just automatically increased, it's one to a hundred to 150 million dollars a year, right?
1: So I'm not sure what the dollar figure is, whatever it is, it's going to continue growing and eventually it will consume the PFD and all of your, all of your um, earnings from the permanent fund are going to, going to go to pay for state government. That's, that's what the yep. reality is for Alaskans. Okay. So some might say, Hey, great. That, that means I don't have a tax. But what that does mean is that you have a government that grows to the size of your permanent fund.
2: Well, I mean and it's completely
1: <laughs> disconnected
2: from your economy. And you do have a tax because they just tax your pfd into oblivion is what happened
1: well and and then they because there's a deficit they will institute a tax yeah so you will have a tax and you will have no pfd
2: hold the line ben let's get back into it the michael duke show common sense liberty based free thinking radio here we go
0: no i mean here we go public enema number one. Oh wait sorry Uh, enemy, public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. Yeah, yeah. Pain in the,
2: uh, yeah. Uh, The Michael Duke show, Common Sense Radio. Ben Carpenter is our guest, representative from down on the peninsula, uh, also the chair of the Ways and Means Committee. And we're talking about a comprehensive fiscal plan in the state of Alaska. And uh, during the break, I just was talking with Ben about <clears throat> Probably the most um uh divisive I mean in his own I guess in his own uh, in his own backyard, in his own party, uh the the most problematic bill is the two percent sales tax bill, although it is again part of a full comprehensive plan. And uh, so a question was asked by one of the chat room members about if I start paying an additional two percent sales tax, what additional services can I expect to receive? And Ben had a pretty straightforward answer. Ben, uh, we'll revisit that. So go ahead. What is the thing we're going to receive if we start paying a 2% tax?
1: Well, if you, if you pass a fiscal plan that's as laid out within the Ways and Means Committee, then you will continue to receive a PFD, a dividend, because we're, we're constitutionalizing the payment of a dividend. That will continue. If we don't pass a fiscal plan and you just passed a tax, which is not what I'm presenting. And it's not what I would vote for. Right. And you will have a tax and eventually your PFD will go away because that's what is going to happen. All of our models point to it, that government is going to grow greater than the permanent fund earnings. So that's what's gonna happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, we talked about this, and you said you didn't have the number, but we had, we've had we had several uh, folks who have come on and talked about that they've, they've eked it out and looked at the numbers. The state government grows. If nothing else changed and you guys went to Juno, gaveled in and gaveled out, and just left for the year, the state government is going to go up $100 million to $150 million every year. In five years, that's half a billion dollars, okay? Just in that growth alone. Forget about any other program. And I mean that is going to consume the PFD in a matter of three or four years. There's, I mean, there will be no PFD left because that's where the majority of that money will have to go. Forget about seventy-five twenty-five; it won't even be ninety-five five. It'll be gone.
1: Yeah, the only way that you you prevent that is by creating a system that doesn't allow it to happen, or you elect representatives that don't allow it to happen. And I would argue that the state is not moving in a direction that enables the latter to happen. So we have to have a a difficult conversation about restructuring our system that ties our decision-making process in the legislature to our private sector economy and have the legislature care about what's happening with economic growth in in where we, we live and work. We care about the oil industry because it provides us revenue. We don't really care about the the non-oil private sector economy because it doesn't provide us revenue. And so we don't focus on policies that that promote economic growth. That's just the reality of what's happening down here. So comprehensive plan that reduces uh, or that um, puts a downward pressure on our spend with an effective spending limit puts tied to our private sector economy constitutionalizing a PFD so that one will be paid, first call, putting a new source of revenue in place that ties our private sector economy to our state spend. These are things and and reducing the corporate income tax rate to incentivize investment in the state. These are things that can be done this legislature that will will impact um, probably halfway through the year, next budget cycle and especially the, the following budget cycle after that. So it's gonna take some time to, to see the benefit of this, but at least we're moving in a direction. What is the alternative? The alternative is doing nothing because that's what the politics are gonna do in the building. The politics are going to be short-sighted and consume the permanent fund earnings until a new tax has to be in, uh, instituted to pay for continually growing government. Right. So. You either bite the bullet and and change your system to something that's better, or it will change itself in the future, and you probably are not going to like what that looks like.
2: I mean, I've often said once the PFD is gone, it'll be a year or two, and then they'll come back to us and look us straight in the eye and say, well, Alaskans, you really need to pay your fair share. You know, nobody else, no other state doesn't have a tax of some kind, and you don't have a tax, so Alaskans, you need to pay your fair share. I can see the handwriting on the wall already on that one. Uh, And that's and that's the thing. The danger here, again, as I uh, alluded to earlier, is that there are multiple components of this. Right. We've got the tax on it. We got the new oil tax bill. We've got the sales tax bill. We've got the uh, the spending cap. We've got uh, your bills on the PFD and the bills out of your committee on the PFD. And we've got some of these other bills. The problem is if we only pass one of them, it's not a solution. They all have to pass together. Is there consensus on that in any way amongst your colleagues from either side of the aisle at this point?
1: There is consensus among uh, some members, but it's unclear to me whether we have enough votes in both bodies. My guess is we don't. We're working on that. But because because the solution requires constitutional amendments, that threshold is not just a simple majority. Right. OK, so we need two thirds of the legislature to say this, these five bills, we can we can narrow this down to a minimum of five bills. And I say bills, pieces of legislation, They'd be two, two resolutions and uh, three bills. That's what we can narrow it down to. And we would have to have that conversation. I've already said there's like a one percent chance that we're going to get that done this year, this, right. this session, right? Well, uh, I, I'd like to think that as, as we continue talking and as we go through this budget that we're about to start today, um, it's going to become clear that we need to have a conversation about a long term fiscal plan and restructuring the way we do our state government um, finances.
2: Well, even the fiscal policy, you mentioned that during the break, even the fiscal policy working group has a, has a component in there that acknowledges that this is going to be a multi-year process. This is not all going to happen at once um that there has to be kind of like i said a delay for everything to kind of catch up um and uh i said it earlier before you came on the program that you know i'm coming to the conclusion more and more that it seems to me that what's going to have to happen is that uh you know you're going to have to hit rock bottom before somebody admits that there's actually a problem and that's <clears throat> that's problematic for everyone involved. Because if you have to wait for the bottom to drop out and there to be not enough money to even fund government before they actually admit that there is a spending problem, that it's too late at that point. I mean, the, the, the wheels come off the bus and you got to start from scratch.
1: Yeah, but that's not what good managers do. L- leaders don't allow that to happen. We We look out to the future and we say, what do we need to do now? To get us to where we want to go in the future, and we want to make change, make things happen now that prevent the wheels on the bus from falling off. That's and and that's difficult. That's hard to do. You have to build as much support as you can for the change. That's I mean, it's baked in. the The process is has baked in a resistance to change. That's human nature. It's bureaucratic nature. It's just the the challenge is finding the leadership, the 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 language, the 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 influence to make some change happen that's for the benefit of the the politic, the, the whole body, right? I'm not speaking all of Alaska.
2: Right. right. Well, especially since as Rob Meyer says, the current system rewards legislators at this point who spend more. That seems to be the, you know, that seems to be the uh the reward factor there. Again, is something, you know, when you're disconnecting the public economy, the government spend from the private economy. That's the scariest thing there is when they have their own set stream of revenue and can grow to whatever means that they want and then can go back and tax the populace on top of that. That's a scary situation because at that point, I mean, people will eventually just pull the plug and leave. And then that just continues to spread that burden to a smaller and smaller group of people. It's a negative feedback loop. We could get caught in something really bad here.
1: That's the long term plan that's in play right now. That's it in a nutshell. You want a different long-term plan then we're going to have to make some changes and make some hard calls and we're going to have to take responsibility for it
2: representative ben carpenter is our guest he's the chair of the ways and means committee and a representative for the peninsula um ben what uh you know what what kind of time for you said less than one percent chance of this actually passing and by this you mean all of these bills together right you're talking about it as a comprehensive plan
1: yeah you don't you don't get my vote for just one of them
2: right so can you give us a you know what you would see as a feasible timeline for this to all come to fruition i mean are we looking at uh you know next year for the end of this session or is it going to take multiple sessions do we I mean, is there a danger in passing one part and then waiting for the next part to pass, you know, because if you can't get them all passed in one session, then it's piecemeal. So, I mean, talk to talk me through the time the timeline here.
1: Yeah, well, I would I would argue that the the evidence um, that we have before us right now, we're talking about a fiscal policy working group report and that that re, um, group met in 2021, summer of 21. And we're just now having a conversation about it. There are, there are politics involved and there are uh, human, human um, emotions and human thinking involved that just require some things to marinate before you can actually put them on the, on the grill and, and cook them up. So do I think we can get it done in the next uh, four to six weeks? Possibly. Where there's a will, there's a way. Do I think that it's more likely that we end up taking multiple sessions to do this? I think that's probably what the body is going to end up doing because committing to something is a is a hard thing to do for people. So does it does it mean that next session, which would be in a, in a, an election year, makes it harder or easier? I don't know. Probably makes it harder. But heck, we've never had an election where a fiscal policy uh, long term plan was actually in play. So what would that mean to voters? when they're asking questions of the next election cycle, did you or did you not support the long term plan? I don't know what would, how would that impact the next election?
2: Right, right.
1: Maybe maybe the following session, the first session of the next legislature is the soonest that we're going to be able to work on this, right? Change the players that that next election. If a fiscal plan long term plan, I mean, the reality is, after the next election, we're looking at no PFD. Right. If the numbers play out the way that we way that they could, with high inflation, low oil return or low oil prices, low returns off the earnings of the permit fund, we could be looking at no PFD after the following election.
2: Ben uh, Ben Carpenter's our guest. We're gonna talk priorities and final thoughts here when we return. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based. Free Thinking Radio back with
0: more right after this. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the, on the, on the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry, streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com
2: okay uh in the break with Ben carpenter um we're going to talk again a little bit when we return about prioritization and also kind of final thoughts on this whole thing um Ben, <laughs> ben um there again some people very upset about the whole idea of attacks but It says you're waving the white flag of defeat to the tax and spend left. That's that's the argument here. What 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 do you what is your comment on that? That you that this is you just kind of giving up against the tax and spend left.
1: Yeah. I don't carry white flags. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So this is You can
1: see the flags in the background. That's nonsense.
2: Yeah. Um this is again part. Uh, it has to. It has to be comprehensive. It can't just be one thing. Uh, the one thing, obviously, that's missing, as you mentioned earlier, is that was brought up was minor cuts. And I think the ways. I think the the fiscal policy working group. I mean, it wasn't like a lot. It wasn't. It only. It was like two hundred million or something, right? I mean, it was a pretty small. It was a pretty small little. Uh, I kind of. Laughed at the amount that of how small it was, but even that is kind of a non-starter in the legislature these days. Well,
1: during the discussion, I think we started at like eight hundred million, right? Right. Talking about the discussion, the fiscal policy working group in twenty one, and we have to remember the only reason we had the conversation, the fiscal policy working group conversation, is because a few of us took took it right down to shutting the government down in twenty one. We wouldn't give the votes because no one is wanting to talk about changing the way that we do state government in order to prevent a disaster in the future. No one's wanting to talk about it. So we had to go all the way to the to the brink of shutting the government down in order and that this is how we solved it. We get this fiscal policy working group that's bipartisan bicameral to even have a conversation about it. Two two more sessions go by and the leadership doesn't want to have a conversation about the report. Right. Okay? Well now we've got a, a change in election and now we're having a conversation with actual pieces of legislation to further that fiscal policy report and the goal is economic growth and prevent the the wheels from coming off the bus and not everybody's going to be happy about it there's plenty of people out there myself included that would like to just see the re, the size scope and size of government come come down right way too easy just cut the spending right right okay great you send me a majority of legislators to the legislature that want to do that and we'll make it happen. Right. Alaskans. If you don't send people that want to see a smaller government, then that's not going to happen, but we still are going to have the wheels fall off because the current plan is going to cause the wheels to fall off. We're going to have no PFD and we will have taxes to pay for an ever increasing state government.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, Rob says, we've tried cutting in a vacuum before. It didn't work. Trying it again would just be the definition of insanity. We need a structure that encourages cutting instead of spending. And I would couple that with what Ben just said, which is we need to continue to send more people down there who believe in the cuts only approach. Uh, I mean, although cuts only is not the you know, because, again, the legislature changes again and then the machine just spins back up. You need to have that structure in place that will hold that spending down. That's why the cuts only approach could work to cut the size and scope of government. But in five years, if the legislature changes out again and we stop focusing on it, then that machine just cranks right back up. And the next thing you know, we're back to spending more than we can, more than we take in. There's got to be these, there's got to be these guide rails in with all these different ideas that the, that the working group put in that will hold those things, uh, hold those things down to act as a governor on all those things.
1: Yeah. I think another key component of this is, is uh, also something that I have a bill that's in uh, drafting right now that revises the executive uh, budget act that act is supposed to that's that statute that is supposed to communicate how the executive branch and the legislative branch talk to each other during the budget process the legislature is supposed to give the executive branches uh, uh sorry the components of the executive branch uh priorities and tell them how they're supposed to measure effectiveness but we don't we legislators don't understand our role in, in how to force government to come down from spending. Likewise, the executive branch through our budget process isn't giving us the information that helps us make those decisions. They're giving us what they want us to hear and it is a uphill battle to try to fight that machine. So a revision of the uh, Executive Budget Act that, that educates legislators on how to, constrain government by statute because there is statutes that say the legislature will tell the executive what their priorities are. We don't do that.
2: Right. No, I mean in the whole the whole budget process, it's really why it's number four in our charter of changes, which is change the funding, but that's fundamentally meaning change the budgeting process. It's got something's got to change there. All right, hold the line. Uh Ben Carpenter is our guest. Uh we're about to jump back into it. The final segment dead ahead the Michael Duke show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. All right, we're continuing now. Ben Carpenter is our guest. Uh, we were going to talk about priorities and then final thoughts here. Ben, so of all the pieces and parts, there has to be some prioritization. And and to me, as you look at each one of these pieces, they're all obviously important as a whole. But some, to me, are more important than others. The first thing, um, and I'll let you give you your list, but I, I would say that the first thing that needs to be addressed is, is the pfd simply for the fact that once that's taken off the table it limits the options of the rest of the legislature to try and continue this government spend bonanza that we've had right it it forces them to it forces them to acknowledge that there is a problem so in priorities am i right in that or what what do you say what do you think are the prioritized what should be the prior uh, priority bills uh, in this plan that go through first, second, third, et cetera.
1: yeah I, it, that's a very difficult question because it's it, they're all interconnected. but i I would agree with you that the PFD solution is probably priority number one and And not only because it's telling the government how to how to constrain itself in some respects each year, but it's also ensuring that some of the permanent fund earnings are coming out to our non-oil private sector economy. Our small businesses, our medium-sized businesses that benefit from the people, Alaskans spending that money in our private sector, that's a that's a benefit to our private sector. So to just give up on that and say that it, it's much better to spend our earnings of the permanent fund on state government means we're not going to spend it in the private sector. So it is a constraint on government. It is a solution to the to the. Um, fiscal problem that we have but it's also a solution to economic growth within the state so getting that solved is is definitely um would be top priority but you're not gonna you're not gonna ultimately you're not gonna solve that problem unless you've got some sort of spending limit right to to constrain the spending of of the state government
2: right no they do have to go hand in glove i would just say again you kind of have to prioritize them you know is it to me it would be you must deal with the PFD first because that takes all the other takes it off the table. It's no longer the badminton, you know, shuttle that's being whipped back and forth across the net. Then you get to the spending cap. Then you get, you know, I mean, because again, I, I, they they have to all be there. But that that PFD has been the 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 volleyball every year for the last seven years. It's got to stop. They've got to acknowledge that if that pool of money disappears all of a sudden everybody's belts just get real tight. You know what I mean? Because all of a sudden that, that, that big multi-billion dollar pool of money that they wanted to draw from is no longer theirs to be able to dip into. And all of a sudden they're like, well, what do we do now? It, it, it would force them to face the issues that are really, that we're all, we've all been talking about for 10 years.
1: We we are at an inflection point within the state of Alaska. We, if you look around, at what's happening in our communities where is the growth where is the evidence that we're prospering going forward like w- new businesses coming in we have a net outward migration of our our people right we need structural change that incentivizes private sector economic growth it's the answer it's the only answer
2: right well because government is a net consumer Wealth is created in the private economy. Uh, government doesn't create anything. Government is a consumer. The private sector is the one that creates the wealth that will help generate and fund a government in the long run to be able to, so that we can govern ourselves. The problem is, is that this disconnect exists where they have their own revenue source and they can do whatever they want. Uh regardless of what's going on, so when you say when the economy's booming, what do people look to? Well, a lot of them look to well, look all these good state jobs and all this and all this other you know and these businesses that are that are living on state contracts and stuff that's the economy's booming. No, that's not the economy. The private economy is the one that does not depend on government largesse to make those things happen
1: that, that's ex- that's exactly it the The farmer knows that the wealth that wealth creation comes from the ground. it it, the the miner knows that wealth creation comes from the ground right the oil producer knows that wealth comes from the ground it's taking raw materials and turning them into something that people want right now we we spend two billion dollars on food and we're sending all of those dollars out of state to some other farmer to grow food for us well if you found it figured out a way to grow food in the state of alaska with low cost energy and, and greenhouses to oversimplify a complex problem, then you would have some portion of $2 billion remaining in the state because we're growing our own food and we're employing people to produce our own food, right? We're looking at the the potential of having some low cost energy with this LNG pipeline. It may happen. That would mean that by the end of the decade, we've got natural gas from the North Slope to Cook Inlet And to um, both South Central Alaska and the interior would have low cost, a source of low cost natural gas. Right. That means within the next seven years, seven to 10 years, we've got the recipe with government restructuring itself. Right. We've got a recipe for economic growth in the state, low cost energy, reduced, uh, reduced corporate uh, taxation and reduced regulations would give us a an environment in which people could grow grow their businesses that's what we want we have to look further down the road than this year's budget and fighting over who gets the scraps on the table
2: so ben uh we're coming down to it here we got about four and a half five minutes here uh i want to give you the chance to uh to summate and also to answer again because there's a lot of There's a lot of angst about this 2% sales tax. And I understand why you put it in there. I understand that it's a necessary component of the whole. I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of taxes in general. But I understand why it's been included in this. But here's your chance to reach out to the base here, the listener base, many of whom are probably very agitated with you that you would dare or deign to put a tax on the table in this way. Tell me... You know, speak to them and tell them, here's why, you know, what is it about? Give them your thoughts on why you brought forward this tax as part of a larger plan. We talked about the larger plan for the last 40 minutes. Why did you bring this forward and explain to them, you know, why this is an important component of that?
1: Why, why is a sales tax or a, or a broadband based tax part of the fiscal plan? Because the only way that we solve the the problem, the only way we put the PFD problem to rest and and constitutionalize it or ensure that it gets paid, the only reason the only way that we grow the economy is to find a political solution that is some of what I want and some of what somebody else wants. That's the, that's the the reality. You, you don't the Alaskans don't send uh, 40 of me down here. That would make it real easy to solve the problem. We sure. do it my way, right? But right. we don't get to do it my way. So for every member, that, every member of the the population, my constituents included, that say, "Hey, I've got the way to do it." Okay, I'm fine. Let's do it your way. You get sixty legislators that think the way you do down here, and we'll do it your way. We don't have that. We don't have sixty legislators that are that are circling around one particular plan and saying this is the way we need to go. Except we have enough that are gonna use the permanent fund dividend to pay for state government in the future. That is the plan that's going to happen. Status quo will do nothing, and that's what's going to happen. And then you will end up with a tax because the government will continue to grow. So we need a spending limit, and we need to put the PFD uh, in the constitution to make sure that it gets paid to the private sector. In order to do that, you've gotta have a comprehensive plan. In order to do that, you're giving somebody what they want in order to get what you want.
2: Again, like I said earlier, the PFD, depending on which, uh, depending on which projection you look at, uh, is anywhere from two to five years uh, to, from being exhausted by government spend, right, by consuming it. So somewhere in the next two to five years, the PFD, if we continue down this road, will be gone. And then I guarantee you they will look you dead in your eye and say, you guys should pay your fair share because you're not paying your fair share because you're not paying any taxes. Regardless of the fact that they've taken the entire PFD as a tax and the fact that they receive all the monies directly and none of that money passes through the people to begin with and be taxed back. Because if we were – I've often said if we were taxed, if we receive the revenue directly for all the royalties that we collectively own because this is a ownership state, right – we would all get this check for, you know, $14,000, $15,000 for, for per person. We'd all be happy. And then, of course, the next week, the government would issue us the tax bill for $13,500. And there would be a revolt in this state. But it's not doing it because we don't see the money. It's a stealth tax. We are already some of the most heavily taxed people in the country. But I guarantee you, the PFD goes away. They'll come back and look us in the eye and say, you're not paying your fair share. We need to tax you now.
1: That's, that's not even, in my mind, that's not even a worst case scenario, right? The worst case scenario is that we have uh, oil revenue that comes back and we have government that continues to grow and we have a permanent fund and oil revenue that funds state government and they don't need to come to the people for anything. Then you have a government that only cares about investment earnings and oil wealth maybe federal dollars flowing in. And the regulations and the laws that get passed will benefit those people. And not the majority of Alaskans who live and work in a non oil private sector economy. You will have a government, a massive government the size of those funding streams, and it will be disconnected from you.
2: Yeah. Uh, Ben Carpenter, our guest Uh, final thoughts, Ben less than 60 seconds.
1: You know what if people don't want a, a fiscal plan they don't want a tax they don't want to do any of these components then that's their right i'm just down here as a representative trying to solve a problem that my voters sent me to you you find somebody else that has a better solution and you send them down here and you send 60 other legislators then they can solve the problem and i'll go do something else because i, I can i will go do something else
2: right no, I mean that's the thing. I mean the whole problem here is is that you're one person and Rob is one person, and you know there's a there's a handful of a folks down there, six, seven, eight that really want to make this fix this, and there's a bunch that just want business as usual to continue, and that's part of the problem. Um, ben, it's not good. it's not good enough to just recognize the problem, Michael. You got to have solutions. Absolutely, Ben Carpenter, our guest. Out of time. Tomorrow is Tuesday. Brad Keithley, Chris Story, the Michael Duke Show. again i think that we cannot undersell that and i we cannot o- oversell that enough uh ben is that you are one person trying to do it and the and the cry of cuts now cuts now i'm 100 percent. i have been screaming cuts now for 20 years but we recognize that i mean we saw what happened the governor in fact i think uh chris uh chris had the the perfect comment on that he said we tried before. We did not. Our side folded before any of the real trying began. Well, but that was a try. See, that was the thing. They tried, and you're right. They folded like a cheap suit. And and, and the thing is, do we keep our trying? Side, that?
1: I don't even I don't even understand what our side is.
2: Well, but I guess I would say the conservatives, the fiscal conservatives. They this is the problem. Yeah,
1: this is the problem. You don't have our side. You
2: have a government lobby down here,
1: and it is confusing. Your side as a fiscal conservative is a handful of people. You thought you elected them because they had an R behind their name, but that doesn't mean anything.
2: Right. No, I've said many times that it really is not about R's and D's. It's about pro-government, you know, pro-government, big government spend versus smaller government spend. And that's uh, that's part of the problem is that we get confused by the R's and the D's and all the hand-waving and everything. But when the rubber meets the road, a lot of those people were like, "Well, well I could cut, but not in my district. I mean, you shouldn't yeah. cut in my district."
1: We've got to be smarter about this. You, yeah. you, you try to come down here and do a frontal assault to make things happen, and it, it doesn't work. You, you don't understand the game that you're playing. Yeah, we need we need a smarter strategy for achieving the things that conservatives want than just a just a beat everybody over the heads mentality.
2: Yeah. Well, we need to start asking the question during the election cycle, like you said, instead of just looking at the elephant on the lapel, we need to ask questions like, are you a fiscal conservative? Do you believe in a fiscal plan? Do you believe in, you know, do you believe in smaller, more limited government? And what has priority for you, the public or the private economy? Those are the kind of questions that should be asked, regardless of what their affiliation is. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, Ben Carpenter, uh, thank you, my friend, for coming on board and uh, being part of it today. Uh, Appreciate it. And I appreciate all your hard work in those committees. Uh, I know, again, it's a thankless task. And uh, it's hard, especially when you have to throw something out there that raises the ire of everybody. But sometimes you got to do what you got to do. I appreciate you coming on board.
1: It's always a pleasure, Michael. Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks for being it. Uh, all right, folks, we got more coming up. Uh, tomorrow is another day. We are going to be joined by Brad Keithley and Chris Story. And uh, we'll see what happens. I know a lot of you aren't happy with Ben. I know a lot of you aren't happy with Ben because he would dare to bring it up. Just like Rob Myers mentioned it, just like Showers mentioned it. The fact that the that a sales tax might be have to be part of it but it does have to be a comprehensive plan because what we've been doing is not working. That's the thing, right? I mean, I just told you for 20 years, I've been on this program talking about, do we have a spending problem or a revenue problem? We've got a spending problem and we've got to cut back on spending. For 20 years, I've been saying the same, you could rewind this show back to 2003. And I was saying the same thing. The problem is it's just me or it's just you. It's not 60 legislators or even 35 of 60 legislators. That's the problem. So we've got to change tact here. If we can put together a fiscal structure that reduces the ability for them to spend out of control, that's a help. That's what it's got to be. And I applaud Ben for his for his courage in bringing this bill because he knew this was going to be a hot mess. But as he even he said, he said, I will not vote for this if it doesn't have the other parts. That's good. It should be at the end. That's what I said. We should prioritize the PFD, the spending cap, the cuts, the oil taxes and everything else. That last thing should be the sales tax that goes on there. Everything else should have to pass first. But we've got to change our tactics because what we're doing is not working. That's the bottom line. All right, folks, we got to go. Thanks for being a part of it today. We will see you tomorrow.